Welcome to Coaching DNA Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wyckoff. My guests on this podcast are coaches, athletic directors, sports psychologists, and really anyone else that can add value to leaders. In each episode, we spend time exploring leadership, culture, development, personal growth, and much, much more. The guests are different in many ways, but share profound similarities. They are hungry to get better, they are guided by purpose, and they are driven to develop the people around them. Each episode allows us to dive into what skills, attributes, and giftings make up great leaders. When I'm not doing this podcast, I run Kingdom Coaching. It is my consulting business where I coach coaches. I work with coaches one-on-one. I work with coaching staffs, as well as run online cohorts. Additionally, I write a weekly email newsletter to resource coaches with tools and strategies to be better leaders and coaches. To find out more, visit my website at kingdomcoachingtw.com and please check me out on Twitter at kingdomcoachtw or at coaching underscore DNA and give me a follow. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest this week on the podcast is Todd Woodcroft. Todd is the head coach at the University of Vermont men's hockey. Todd just finished his first year at Vermont after coming over from the Winnipeg Jets. Todd and I talk about his time with the Winnipeg Jets as an assistant coach and what he learned from head coach Paul Maurice, what his priorities were the first 90 days on the job at Vermont. We talk about his mindset into building out his staff and much, much more. Todd is uh, super easy to talk to. He's a really smart dude and, uh, yeah, carries himself with a ton of humility. Really enjoyed my conversation with him. I learned a lot, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, my conversation with Todd Woodcroft. Todd, man, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Why don't you uh, love to hear your journey from high school to present day? Well, thanks a lot for having me on today. Um, my my journey is probably a uh, unique one in the sense that I was never good enough to be uh, an NHL player. I come from a pretty traditional Canadian uh, family where hockey is the fabric of uh, you know most of Canada, especially where I grew up in the city of Toronto and in uh, one of the first suburbs in Canada. It's called Don Mills, and my father was a player. Uh, he was a goalie, which was always uh, a joke around our house because he was a goalie before they had masks and it always explained a lot because he was a little <laughs> bit uh, a little bit shook in the head we thought sometimes and both my brothers were outstanding players and they uh you know they both had good professional careers and both my brothers are actually still coaches too um you know they've uh, had distinguished careers playing and nhl draft pick and uh, olympics and all these kind of great stuff that my family's been real proud of and and i learned a lot from both of them i'm a middle guy but uh, I've learned as much from my younger brother, who's a head coach in the American League. Uh, he's got a thousand NHL games under his belt. Um, and my older brother, uh, Craig, is in uh, in Russia in uh, Minsk in the KHL. And we've all kind of supported each other. And then, you know, my my journey really was what I would say to anybody listening. It's about your network. And I had a really good network from where I went to college at McGill University and um, a guy by the name of Jamie Compon was working for the St. Louis Blues and let me know that there was a job opening in the Minnesota Wild. And um, he helped me get that job. And and he's actually helped me get a couple jobs. And I was lucky enough to 
winning Stanley Cup with him in L.A. And then uh, the other one would be uh, he helped me get a job with the Winnipeg Jets, which was the most formative uh, five years of my life uh, on that coaching staff um, where I learned so much and I learned that you're always going to keep learning. So I guess that's a kind of an abbreviated version of, of my career. And now I'm at the University of Vermont where I'm the head coach. Uh, my first year was a pretty interesting one. So let's just hope they keep getting more interesting and maybe some things uh, will get better for us and we're going to learn a lot of lessons from it. Love it. So maybe I would love maybe for you to, to dive a little bit more into your t- five years in Winnipeg. You said it was the most five, most formative five years. Uh, yeah. Lessons learned people that impacted you maybe flesh that out a little bit. Well, the, the gentleman who's uh, the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets is a, a man by the name of Paul Maurice and anybody who's a hockey fan um, would know Paul. Paul is one of the most gifted speakers, one of the best tactical minds uh, in hockey uh, he's a gentleman. Uh, he's a man who I learned the value of relationships between players and coaches, between coaches and coaches, between coaches and management, between coaches and other coaches, uh, how he would treat people uh, around the rink, uh, little details that I try to bring with me now. But the most important lesson I learned from Paul Maurice was that every day our message was that we have to enjoy what we do for a living. So we're trying to win games. And you usually don't win games unless you enjoy what you do for a living. And you're certainly not going to enjoy what you do for a living if you're not winning games. And uh, I can tell you with the utmost sincerity that I never worked a day in my life that I was fortunate enough to wear the Winnipeg Jets logo and everything from the ownership group. But Winnipeg, for people who don't know Winnipeg, it's kind of like the Green Bay Packers of uh, the NHL. It's a, it's, it's a small market. Uh, it's a working class city. Uh, they have a professional hockey team, a professional football team, and and the town just revolves around this team. And to see Paul's interaction and the owner, the owner's interaction with the community, the general manager's interaction with the community, it was something where I felt like I was the luckiest person. I had a front row seat. I had a master class every single day around people who inspired me and made me want to be better. So I, it's uh, something I carry with me still to this day right now. So there's on one level, there is a grind to the hockey season, but on a le- another level, I'd love to hear how Paul Maurice created a environment where there's some joy, where there can be enjoyment. How did he, how did he build that into what could be a big time grind? Well, it grind. It's funny to say that Travis, like that was the, the word we embraced from day one. Like we, we took that identity of being the small market team and, and how do we wear that? And even the word wear, uh, we would wear that with pride. And Paul would always talk about how you can't wear the color beige your whole life. You know, like you can't just kind of hide in the weeds and just try to survive. Like you have to try to change things. And, and you know, the day-to-day stuff, like being a coach, it's not, it's not the title. It, it's how you do your job. And you're going to have bad days and you're going to have hard days. And anybody can get through the hard days. It's the bad days you got to get through together. And from seeing Paul and from Jamie Compon and Charlie Huddy and Wade Flair to the other guys on that coaching staff, like to see how we work together. And I, I, I gotta be totally honest. I was like the, almost the guy who didn't deserve to be there. I'm not even still sure why Paul hired me. Um, but you could see that the head coach was there to steady the rudder at all times. You know, the trust that we had uh, in Paul, the trust that the players had in Paul, like it was, built on time and it was built on consistency. It was authentic. So he would, he would prove it 
every single day with his action. So you, you mentioned the word grind. I, I think most sports fans and serious sports fans might not understand uh, how hard that job is to be in a head coach, especially in, with hockey, the NHL in Canada, you know, you have in a small city, you have two designated radio stations that are only talking about the NHL team and sports. And it's, it's a media, um, it's a media availability issue every day that you have to have and all your mistakes are on TV and it's talked about by everybody. And then you have the keyboard warriors who are out there questioning everything. And most people don't really know what goes on behind the scenes and how much work gets done. And for me to come in and see the work ethic of a guy like Paul, you know, this is a guy that's at the rink every day before six every day and is frequently there until nine, 10 o'clock at night on not game days. And if it's a game day, forget about it. Like you're there until one o'clock in the morning and it doesn't matter that you get four hours sleep. You're back at the rink at five 30 quarter to six, and then you're traveling and then you're getting off a plane and you get off the plane at three o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter. You're still at work at six o'clock in the morning, getting ready for the next day. So it, I, I learned so much from him. Um, I learned that, uh, you know, that the value of coaching a coach, it's not really a noun, it's a verb. Mm, so good. he would, he showed me that all the time. So I'm, I am, he's probably sick and tired of hearing me saying how much I appreciated him, but like, uh, it's it, the, the influence he had on me as a, as a man, uh, as a coach, it, it, those are lessons that, you know, I would be paying as much money as I, I don't have a ton of money, but if I had any money, I'd be paying all of it just to, just to be able to sit with Paul and listen to him and learn from him. And I know there's a lot of coaches out there like that, but he was the one for me that really was a formulative uh, person in my life. That's cool. That's, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's, let's tr- transition to, to you and maybe your strengths and so it sounds like Paul was relational. It sounded like he had a gift for the, the, the tactical side of hockey. Um, it sounded like there was a, a, a gifting or a wiring of just really consistent, steady Eddie. What about you? What are your, what are your gifts? What are, your, what, are, what are the attributes that you possess? This might be the shortest answer in history. <laughs> um, I think uh, the reason Paul hired me, and he, and he would tell me from the beginning, um, was that I am a relationship-based person. Um, you know, he he wanted to have somebody that the players would would want to come to and talk to. And uh, I think just the fact that uh, I was the youngest guy in staff, even though I'm only four years younger than Paul, and, and I'm going to tell him all the time, he, he looks like he's 100 years older than me. <laughs> um, the fact that I was closer in age to the players, I, I, I think I probably have a pretty easygoing nature and maybe a sense of humor that the players appreciated. Uh, I was able to develop a pretty good um, relationship with each player on the team individually. You got you to find ways to connect to the players. Somebody might be shy. Somebody might be outgoing. Someone might like uh, having fun. Someone might like just being pushed hard and being pushed serious. And I think that Paul entrusted me from the beginning with, uh, I guess, taking the temperature of the team every single day mm. and maybe putting out some fires before they get to Paul's desk and maybe setting a couple fires to before Paul has to deal with them. So um, in the professional landscape, there's so much landscaping that has to get done and you're going to have a messy yard every single day. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I was almost a groundskeeper for Paul just to make sure that uh, things were taken care of before they became a problem for him. Um, and then you always need somebody on the staff who's going to 
try to outwork the other people. It didn't work in Winnipeg because they all worked so hard. But I think that I maybe would say I brought some energy and some enthusiasm in, in, in there. And, and I was a new new face, a new voice uh, coming into Winnipeg at a time when they were just starting to to become the team that they are now. So it was it was outstanding. Love it. Give me other than other than one group gets paid and the other are student athletes. Let's I'm, I want to dive into this topic, but I'll start from like a 30,000 foot view, maybe some big generalities, the difference between professional hockey and college hockey. Well, in, in college hockey, your, uh, your practice to game ratio is so different than in professional hockey. So in professional hockey, your season is 82 games in a normal year. Um, I think people listening would be interested to know that you actually don't have a lot of practices in professional hockey. Um, and it's very rare that you have a full team practice. And the reason why is you have a finite number of days a month that you have to have off um, the collective bargaining agreement between the players association and, and the ownership groups is you have to have at least one day a week off. Used to be when I was young that you would, let's say you had a bad game, you'd come in, the coach said, that's it. Everybody on the ice tomorrow. You, you, you can't do that anymore. Rightfully so. Yeah. Um, the idea of uh, mental health and mental strength and just getting away from the the rink and being able to rewind a bit and refocus. I think that has evolved. And I think that's an amazing thing in the game now. Um, but you don't have a lot of time to practice and you have injuries, you know, you have on a game day, you don't practice on a game day in the NHL. Like you might have some guys that go out, but it's almost like a shoot around in the NBA. Yeah. It's not very taxing and, and teams are getting away from overstressing their athletes too much. You practice harder usually at the beginning of the year, training camp, and then it kind of tapers off towards playoffs if you're lucky enough to play playoffs. Um, in the college landscape, it's the opposite. You know, you have in a regular season 35-odd games that you're playing, but you're having practices four times a week, and you know who your opponent is, and you usually play the same opponent Friday night and a Saturday night. So in the NHL, you're playing four games a week in some four different cities. Right. And it's a, a lot of travel and college hockey. We didn't take a plane. We didn't even have a plane ride this year, even scheduled with a schedule that was uh, axed before COVID happened. So um, there's a lot of uh, time to prepare for an opponent. So you have Monday to Thursday to prepare for an opponent. Um, you could structure your practice a lot differently. Um, I find that there's a lot more distractions in college hockey. Like these are young. So the, I coach the men's team. These are young men that have such noise going on in their life, whether it's, you know, social media, whether it's uh, advisors, whether it's family and whether it's partners in their life and everyone's able to go on and tell you how good you were or how bad you were. And, you know, like that's a, that's a big thing. Those are distractions, but they also have school and, you know, trying to juggle, uh, you know, the academic side of things that that's really hard. It's a really hard thing to know that you have to maintain the academic standard. So our standard was a 3.7 GPA when I came in here and that's, that's set. And we don't want to change that. And we expect our student athletes to be student athletes. Hmm. Um, we want all our players to play professional hockey, but you know, you have things going on that you have to worry about besides hockey and the pros you're worried about, you know, performing. Uh, and of course some guys are married and have children, et cetera. Um, which you don't have in college athletics, uh, I don't think very often anyway. But I think for our players to understand that the distractions do happen all the time, they just change as you evolve, as yeah. you get older, as your experiences 
um, happen in your life. So I think that was the biggest difference I found is just the, that the distractions and the practice to game ratio. So, um, I don't know, obviously how this played out. I don't know if they approached you or if you showed an interest into this job, but I would be curious what the Genesis was for you. What was the, what was the first thought or this, uh, the, the thing that said, man, I think I might want to go into college. I, I might want to go after this job. This sounds intriguing. What was it? I'm curious, kind of a behind the scenes look at that. Yeah, it was, uh, I have a history of not being able to say no to anybody who asks me to do anything. So, I mean, I, I feel like I'm on every podcast in the world right now and I actually don't seek the attention. I just can't say no to anybody for it. Um, understand that there's people out there that are trying to learn and maybe I have an experience or two that could help somebody. And, and uh, over the past seven, eight, nine years, I've been invited to speak at different coaching symposiums and seminars and fantastic ones like the coaches site, which is a great uh, hockey uh, resource for coaches learning. And I spoke at the NHL coaching association uh, seminar and uh, I got asked to speak to one of the college coaches a couple of years ago and I came in and I, and I spoke at it. And it was for every single NCAA coach, um, men's side and women's side. And, and um, I prepared for it like I would prepare for anything. I just put every single amount of energy I have into it. I don't know if I did a good job or not, but apparently it was real well received. And I started to get some, uh, some people asked me if I would be interested in, in, uh, in taking a head coaching job in the NCAA. And I had a lot of people uh, ask me to come on their staff as an associate coach or assistant coach, which I was not. Uh, gonna do and I turned I turned down a couple of opportunities I didn't even let it get very far just because I was so happy in Winnipeg and and really so comfortable and which would be a lesson for anybody is that sometimes you have to be uncomfortable you want your teams to be uncomfortable you got to get in the mud sometimes and see if you're any good I don't know if I'm any good I still haven't had a chance to prove it but I wanted to and uh, through a connection, uh, somebody at the University of Vermont, Vermont reached out to me and asked if I would have interest in this job. They were doing a pretty exhaustive, exhaustive search uh, for this. Um, they talked to a lot of NHL coaches. I wanted it to be a place, uh, if I was going to leave the comfort of Paul and the Jets and the place that I loved going to every single day, it would have to be a perfect situation. So I walked into a, a team that... Um, you know, wasn't having the success that it had traditionally, but they did a real good job of recruiting people and character, but they're playing in the hardest division. It's like playing against the Yankees every single night or playing against, you know, the Patriots every single night. Like it's, it's, it's a really hard division we're in. So I was able to come in. I was familiar with a lot of the other coaches uh, through friendships and networks and coaching against guys and relationships again, that were in the conference I'm in is called hockey East and, uh, you know, you have the Boston universities, Boston college and Northeastern and Providence and UMass, UMass Lowell, and like on and on and on with great teams, uh, 10 other good teams besides us in this conference. So I, I wanted the challenge of going against who I think are the best teams in, in college hockey. And then coming to a place like Burlington's really not that hard. Like it's, it's like Switzerland here. Like it's gorgeous. The campus yeah. is gorgeous. It's surrounded by mountains. I, I knew that they were sincere in their desire to want to win. I don't want to go anywhere unless we want to win. And I understood the challenge ahead of me um, going into this conference and, and trying to make this roster be one that I think is going to be competitive for a long, long time. It, it's sustainably competitive. Um, 
And then I wanted the autonomy of being able to do what I wanted to do myself, uh, take the lessons that I had learned. And, and I don't know if they're right yet, but I think they are. Uh, and the process that I believe in and the process I've learned in being surrounded by people way smarter than me. Uh, and then hiring who I wanted to hire and then having the ability to make changes in the team going forward. And I was given to that by the athletic department. And, you know, we only had 13 games this year, but I think that kind of like a brick by brick, we're starting to, to lay the groundwork for what's going to be the future here. What's been the, what's been the biggest challenge taking over a, a college program, whether you're coming from the NHL or not? What, yeah, I'm curious, biggest challenge over the course of the last several months. I think that uh, the recruiting uh, was a real challenge this year. Uh, now, I have a pretty uh, good experience behind me of um, scouting. I was in uh, scouting for a long time as well, and I, I, I have a, a fairly sizable network of people that I can talk to and ask opinions of smart hockey people that I trust. But I think the recruiting this year uh, during COVID was a crazy one. Now, it's a crazy one for everybody. So it's the 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 playing field is the same for every team but and I was on a team uh, called the Los Angeles Kings and it was run by a general manager by the name of Dean Lombardi and, and when I worked for Dean I learned almost like from Paul I learned the management side of things and the leadership that he showed every day and uh, one of the lessons I learned from him on scouting was if you're going to put a player on your team you have to be able to ask yourself would you want to play with this guy like would you want to be in a foxhole with this person when the bullets are flying and I, not to overuse the war analogies, but that was an important lesson for me is not, sometimes it's not just watching players and saying, Hey, that player's really good. Right. It's where does that player fit in our lineup? And culturally, where does that player fit in our lineup? Are they going to be a driver? You know, are they going to be, if you're at the beach, is that going to be someone who's sunbathing? Is it going to be someone who's swimming? Or is it going to be someone who's surfing? Uh, how do they fit inside your team culture and what you want to build? You can't just collect all the same types of players. Like people have to have roles. And um, I learned that. And this year it was hard because we are not allowed. Uh, there's a, it's called an, a dead period in NCAA. You're not allowed to go recruiting because of travel restrictions. So you can't go sit across the table from somebody and sit eyeballs to eyeballs with them and, and see how their banners are to see how they treat the people working in the restaurant, to see, you know, if they, if they are engaging with you, if you feel a chemistry with that person. So that, that was a real challenge for me because I've had to sign a lot of players and I've never even stood next to them or sat next to them or met their parents or, you know, it, it was all based on watching games and doing homework and exhaustive homework. Mm -hmm. uh, but that to me was probably the biggest challenge is that you, you're going to give someone an opportunity and a, and a very healthy scholarship to come and play at the university of Vermont. And I never even shaken your hand yet. Yeah. You know, so that's, that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. So you, uh, you take the job, you step on campus, walk me through, I'd be curious uh, in, in college circles, a lot of, a, a lot of discussion is you know what your first 90 days on a job what are you what, what are you doing having a plan for the first 90 days on the job i'd be curious what were the highest priorities as you look back how you spent your time over the first x amount of months on campus what were those things that that, that were just took up most of your time that you really focused on that you dove into what were your highest priority activities i think the word i would probably um, choose first would be navigate right like i was learning to navigate the academic side of things. I was having to sit on, you know, 
council meetings and department meetings and understanding budgets and, and things that were foreign to me. Um, having had people do all that work for me before coming from where I worked last, um, being responsible for all those things as well. So you, you, you can't just buy things because you want to have them. You have, you have to spend the university's money accordingly. So I think for that was a, the very beginning was trying to navigate all the things that I had never had experiences with before. Of course I had had budgets and um, I understood them, but now it's uh, during a time when, you know, everybody's struggling. You got to be very careful with how you spend money, how you allocate resources. Um, And then it was just for me, the first 90 days were trying to meet people, you know, trying to understand the team within the team. So that, that to me means the support staff uh, understanding the, the role of the the medical department and understanding the equipment people and uh, having to, I had to hire an equipment person uh, right off the bat, which is a, and you know, in sports, as you know, usually the soul of the team are the equipment people and the the medical people. They're, they're the ones who know everything, you know, like it's always a joke. They know where all the bodies are buried, you know, like they know all the (laughs) secrets and they know what's uh, what what really is happening inside of a team. So I wanted to spend as much time as I could with them uh, to clearly define how I saw their roles. And I wanted to ask them how they saw their roles and to encourage them to be a part of what we're trying to do going forward. And anytime you have a new head coach come in and everyone's kind of nervous and I wanted them to just understand that we're all in this together, right? Like uh, this is all of us driving the ship together and, uh, getting to know them, getting to know other people in the athletic department, which is hard to do in COVID because most people are working from home and, uh, there's a safety issue there. And, you know, so I thought that was a, a big challenge for me in the first 90 days. And then trying to get the team together where you have you know, 29 players in this team, which is a lot for me um, to have that many players on a team. Usually you're dealing with 22, 23, 24 players. Now you have a lot of players in your team and you can only dress, you know, 22 a night. So you're going to have a lot of people who are unhappy. Um, so that, that, that was a, for me, the first, three months was trying to get to know these guys as people, not just as players. And then all of a sudden you're getting hit in the head left and right with schedule changes and yeah. pauses in your development and practice changing. And, you know, and now we, we, we had to be very creative in how we did it. Uh, you could only have three groups of eight uh, to start and you, you, you want to get going. You want to implement all your new systems. You want to show everybody what you know and how you want to play. And then bang, you get a, four week pause from being able to play. And so it was, uh, it was frustrating, but I think that we learned a lot about ourselves. I learned, certainly learned a lot about myself um, and what I thought leadership was and and how I was going to try to help influence this team going forward. But the, the first 90 days were formulative for me because I was able to meet everybody. Everybody was able to meet me, which that sounds maybe confident or something. And that's not what I mean. It was that they would be comfortable around me and that they would uh, understand my vision, but also that I wanted to hear their vision. And you learn a lot from asking people what was done right before, how do we keep doing things right? And then what can we do better? Hmm. You know, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting first uh, three months for me. Yeah, dude, that's really good. I love that. Um, so obviously part of you know, take becoming a head coach, by the way, I, I, I love the timing of this because you're, you're one year in. And so a lot of these questions um, that I, if I ask a guy who's been around for, or a gal who's been around for eight, 
10, 14, 15 years. It just doesn't, it's not as fresh. So I, I love where you're at right now because these questions, some of the questions I ask is, it is going to be really, really like so fresh. So I want to ask this. You take over a program, you got to hire a staff. When you're, when you're thinking about hiring a staff and as you're going through that process, I'd be curious on um, what, your, what your thought process was on staff dynamics, uh, recruiter, tactician, combination. Like, I'd be curious if you just, yeah, just maybe riff on that a little bit. Uh, well, I, I can tell you, like we talked about my brothers, my younger brother, Jay, who's in uh, Bakersfield. So he left the comfort of being an NHL coach in Edmonton um, to go and be a head coach in the American league is like myself. He wants to see how good he is and what he can do. And when he went to Bakersfield in the American league, he had this, essentially the same situation I had where he could hire who he wanted to hire. Um, he could build a team with his own vision. And the lesson I learned from him was that he purposely didn't hire anybody he knew. Mm. I think that's a mistake that I uh, can maybe mistakes, not the right word. Um, that's something that that a lot of people do. They want to be comfortable and just bring their friends with them yep. and or give somebody they know a great job. And there is value to that. There's value to having familiarity with someone and someone you work with. And I, I really hope when at some point when I need a job, one of my friends hires me. So I'm not saying that uh, there's not value in that. But from my brother, Jay, he he did an exhaustive search. You know, he was driving nine, 10 hours by himself to go meet candidates and meet them somewhere and eat lunch with them and learn about their life and learn about their family and their, their own vision for hockey. And, and when I went to university of Vermont, when I came here, uh, I tried to do the same thing. I took my time. So I had 161 resumes come to me when I got the job and I got back to all 161 of them. And I don't say that because it's uh, self aggrandizing. It's because somebody took the time to, to send me a resume and took the time to say they had interest in university of Vermont. Uh, so I made sure that I got back to every single one of them because down the road, I'm, I might be hiring that person. And I, I think that's going to happen in the near future that somebody that was in that 161 did impress me when I was building the staff. I wanted to make sure that I had people who were comfortable challenging me. Uh, I didn't want them to just always agree with me. I don't think you have a lot of success when everybody just says, yo, absolutely. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I want that, uh, not disharmony is not the right word, but I want the friction sometimes because that makes everybody learn. Now, when you open the door of the coaching room and you go into the locker room, everybody has to be on the same page. So even if assistant coach X doesn't agree with what we do, uh, that's really at the end of the day, that's my, my, responsibility is to create the narrative and create the game plan to go in to address the players. Um, we have to be on the same page. Now we would have hashed it out and talked about things and, and that happened many times this year. And I learned, I learned from the assistant coaches. So you want to hire assistant, at least I could say I wanted to hire assistant coaches. I think that were uh, very bright that had enthusiasm and, and, and ambition. If I'm doing my job, right. I want my assistant coaches to get to be where they want to be. I want to move them on. Yeah. help them in their career like Paul Maurice did for me or Jacques Lemaire or Mike Babcock, all the people who've helped me along my life that have helped me. I want to do the same for the staff that I have. Um, and then it was about creating job descriptions for each of them that were, I don't want to say clearly defined because I think there had to be room. And we actually revisited it in, uh, in February and it was almost dead on to what the coaches were doing, but we revisited the the blueprint we had for each person 
And some of them were very detailed and some of them were a little bit vague, vague. Like one of the guys we hired, I, I, I told him he had to be the minister of fun. Like he had to make sure that the players were loose and having fun because that gets lost sometimes. So mm. if I leave a room, I want to make sure that one of the coaches is going around and having a good time with the players and staying on the ice and playing games and making players smile because this is a game. We're lucky enough to play this game. The fun aspect can't get lost. And then it's about uh, making sure that the coaches that you hire, they have a voice in their own development. So how are they going to develop? Not just moving them on, but what are they going to do? So one of the assistant coaches said, I'd really like to work on the power play this year. So I said, all right, let's, let's let you have that and see how you do. And, and let's go through it when it's going to be bad. How do we solve problems? Uh, how do we get better? So I think that's a big responsibility for the coaches. You also have to help the coaches that you surround yourself with. They're helping you every single day. Like these guys, they work their behinds off. And, mm. and so we, we have a very good dynamic on our, on our staff. I think so anyway, maybe if you ask them, they'd have a different opinion for you, but I think we have a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a family. We laugh a lot. Uh, we, we wear the losses very hard, um, but not for very long. And just like with a win, like you, you take it and you enjoy it, but then you got to start worrying about the game that's going to happen the next week. So I, I was very happy with the, the staff this year. Uh, they made me better. I hope I made them better. I know they made the players better, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. Thanks so much for listening. I'm assuming if you made it this far that you enjoyed the conversation. Would you please leave a review and pass this podcast along to anyone else that you think might enjoy it? If you have any suggestions for the show, I'm always looking to, to grow and to improve the show. Email me at Travis at KingdomCoachingTW.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, have a good one.